This morning, I invite you to open your Bible and look with me to the book of Romans. I hope you brought your Bible, or if you find it on your electronic device, and we're going to be in chapter number six. We'll be looking at a lot of different scripture verses today, and we probably don't have time to cover all the scripture verses that I uh, have put on the uh, worksheet, the uh, outline, but we're going to look into God's Word uh, today, and we'll be in Romans chapter six. But before we get to the message, I want to say that today we are rejoicing in a first step taken for life and a decision handed down by the Supreme Court. The High Court reversed a decision made nearly 50 years ago, making abortion legal in Roe versus Wade and claiming that it was a constitutional right. And it was a constitutional right to, to murder an infant in the womb of its mother. The reversal is an answer to prayer for many of us who value life. The issue is now in the hands of voters in state to state to decide. But the mission of our church has not changed, and it is still the same. And that is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to every person on this planet. To love people with the love of Christ. To speak the truth in love. To tell other people about Jesus Christ. And to point people to God's grace. And if you had an abortion, I'm telling you, God loves you. If you have been injured or hurt, then God loves you. If you've been divorced, God loves you. If you had an affair, God still loves you. If you've committed crimes, God loves you. If you've participated in sexual sin, God loves you. If you're confused about your gender, your identity, I'm telling you, God loves you. And Jesus Christ can help you. And we are to love people no matter what condition they are in their life. We will stand for life. We're stand for life and not for death. Life in the schools where too many children are innocently slaughtered. Life in the inner cities where crime of one person against the other. Let's stand for life. Life in prisons, life in Ukraine, life in the play yards, life in the nursing homes, life for the homeless, life for the alien and the refugee, life for those in the womb. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. Let's stand for life in every way. This argument, this deal is not about reproduction rights. It's not about women's rights to choose. It's all about human rights. All human life, especially the most vulnerable, must be protected. The baby girl has a right to live. Years ago, Ronald Reagan said, I've noticed all who speak for abortion were allowed to be born. Today, pray for our country. And pray for us as a church that we will be salt and light in a world of decay and darkness. And may the light not be the light of politics, but the light of the love of Jesus Christ in this broken world. So we rejoice today. The battle's not over. It's just started. In Illinois, it's one of those states that it's 
wide open in the murderous industry of taking life. Pray that it will become unthinkable. Pray that we as a church would love women, love teenagers, love the poor, love the homeless, love the helpless, and love those who even disagree with us. And let's commit, commit to be involved, commit to roll up our, our sleeves, commit to serve, to honor, and to teach, and to be a refuge, and to be a hope. Amen? I'm proud of our church in the past, that we've not just carried placards, but we've been involved in the trenches with teenage moms who decided to keep their children. I think those kinds of ministries are hugely important. Amen? And then we need to proclaim the good news that we have in Christ. That God so loved us that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Remember this. God sent his own son, born of a virgin, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Amen. That's God's great love for us. Amen. So church family, now's the time for us to let the light of Christ shine in this world. Amen. Amen. Let's do it together. Father in heaven, I pray that as we move into our message today, that you speak to our hearts through your word. Lord, we need to hear from you today. We trust in you. We thank you for your great love for us. And then when we were lost, that you sought us, that you redeemed us. God, your love is too amazing to even comprehend. Now, Father, I pray that we had set aside everything else that would want to claw, plop, um, fog, cause fog in our minds and our hearts and might impede us from hearing you. And I pray that we'd cast those things aside and we would listen to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we're looking today in the sixth chapter, we're coming to the last verse that is found in chapter number six today. Paul has been arguing for living our lives victoriously and not in the old patterns of sin, but living a new life, a life of ongoing salvation, of sanctification, of changing and living more holy and not going back and living in sin Notice what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. Then verse number 3 and 4, which we often read at a baptism. Listen to what it says. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. That we live a brand new life. The old life is dead and a new life has come. Verse number six, for we know our old self was crucified with him, that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. You don't have to live like you used to live. You're free to live a new life. Can somebody say praise the Lord? And verse 11 says, you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then verse number 22 that we looked at last week. But now since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have a new master. You have your fruit, which results in what? Sanctification. The outcome is eternal life. That brings us to the text for today. We're going to put it on the screen. Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's say that verse together. Will you join me in saying it together? Read it together for off the screen. Chapter 6, verse 23. For the is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the outline of the message today. Sometimes you read a single text of Scripture and it succinctly gives us the gospel story in that one text of Scripture. And that's what this one does today. Look with me. For the wages of sin is what? Death. And that's the first point. The wages of sin is death. You all remember the first job you ever got? Some of you still looking for one. I remember my first job. It was, uh, well, Terry, my very first job was working at a filling station. Tom, I worked at a filling station. And I uh, was still in high school. And when I got that job, I was so excited. I wondered how I was going to spend all my money. I was paid $1.25 an hour, $1.25 an hour. And then there was a minimum wage increase, and I was making $1.35 an hour. I was rolling in the dough, boy. So some other old people will remember days like that. What is the wage that it, you have earned? But when it comes to our lives spiritually, this is Paul says, the wages of sin is death. And Paul is saying that sin has affected all of us. And sin is in all of us and affected all of us. And we all sin because we're sinners. And sin is something we're responsible for. And sin is a rebellion against God. Sin is missing the mark and falling short of God's ideal for our life. Sin is perversion. Sin is disobedience and a lack of trust in God. The prophet Ezekiel said, the person who sin is the one who dies. Paul says something similar. He says, whatsoever a man soweth, so shall he reap. If he sows to his flesh, from his flesh, he will reap corruption. And he sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit, 
he reaps life. So the wages of sin is death. Sin has affected all of us, and death has infiltrated our life. And Romans 5.12 says, There, for just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, death spread to all people, because all sinned. You and I are responsible for our sin. And so when you hear people say things like, well, I just can't help it. What you're saying is, I'm a victim. I'm not responsible for my sin. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Your sin is your sin. Your anger is your anger. Your rebellion is your rebellion. And the soul that sins The person that sins will give an account to God. You're individually responsible for your sin. Now, what are the consequences of sin? I'm glad you asked. There's consequences eternally, but there's consequences in this life as well. Number one, I'm going to have to hurry today. The effect of sin is, first of all, the wages of sin is death. It brings separation in your life. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2, it says, But your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Sin brings separation in your life. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity or malice in my heart, then the Lord doesn't listen to me. Sin brings a separation between you and God. Sin brings a separation between you and others. Sin, listen to me carefully, sin never unites us. Sin always divides us. So if you have a divided marriage, it's because of sin. If you have divided church, it's because of sin. If you have a divided heart, it's because of sin. If you have a divided nation, it's because of sin. Sin working in us. A house divided can't stand. Sin always divides. It never unites. It separates us. Secondly, it brings spiritual death into your life. Now, if you look in the book of Genesis, we see you can't help but go to Genesis and look at how sin was introduced into the world and its impact into our lives. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, the Lord says to Adam, he says, You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. He said, The very day that you eat of it, you will die. Adam and Eve both eat, eat of the fruit. Do they die immediately? Yes, spiritually. And then they begin progressively, death works in them. You see, Romans 8, 6 says, The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Sin always brings death. It brings spiritual death. In James chapter 1, verse number 15, But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then... After the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. 
That's why when Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, he says to the older brother when he's trying to talk with him and reason with him, who's angry because his brother's come home and his father's received him back and killed the fatted calf and thrown a party at the restoration of his son. Listen to what the father says to the older brother. This brother of yours was dead and now is alive again. How was he dead? He was spiritually dead. Not physically yet, but spiritually. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. The wages of sin is death. It's spiritual death. And not only that, it's separation between you and God. But not only that, the consequence of sin brings guilt and shame into your life. Now, in, in back into the Genesis chapter 2, notice in verse number 25, the man and his wife were naked and felt no shame. What an amazing thought. There's the first man and first woman in the garden, and they're working in the garden. They don't, they're not wearing any clothes, and there's no sense of shame whatsoever. There's no sense of hiddenness. It implies nothing but intimacy and perfection in their communication with one another. But when sin is introduced, oh, how it changes everything. In chapter number three, verse number six, the woman saw the tree was good for fruit and a delight to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. And she took some of its fruit and ate. Notice how sin begins to work. She begins to doubt God. She listens to the evil tempter. She once feels like she buys in and listens to the lie. God's holding out on you. And she desires and she takes and she eats. Notice she gives it to her husband who's with her. And he ate. In chapter 3, verse number 6. Now watch the downward spiral. Watch what happens with sin. The eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. That's what man-made religion always wants to do. Try to cover up the shame through our own works. But it never works. You see, it's devastating what happens in the garden right here. Notice in verse number eight, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God. Why? Because sin always separates. They hid among the trees of the garden. The Lord called out to the man and he said, where are you? And the man said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid I was naked, so I hid. You see, their eyes are opened. They recognize their nakedness, their vulnerability, their sinfulness. And they feel for the first time something they never felt before in their entire life. Now listen. They felt shame. It's the first time a human being had ever felt shame. 
They felt guilt for the first time. No human being had ever felt guilt or shame or fear ever before. But now is introduced because of sin. Shame. Guilt is something you feel because you know you've done something wrong. Shame is about who you are as a person. They feel ashamed. They feel guilty. They'd never known that before. Now, folks, we know that from because we, we have received a sin nature and we grow up in sin and we live in a culture of sin. So there's never a time that we didn't feel shame or guilt but not Adam and Eve. The devastation, imagine the devastation that they felt in the garden. It rocks them to their very core. And they hide themselves. Why? God, because we heard you. What does that mean? They're fearful now of God. Rather than wanting to run to God, they run from God. Why are they fearful of God? Because he's holy. And now they have become unholy. And they feel naked. They feel exposed. And they feel fear. And that's the next consequence of sin. It brings fear and anxiety and worry and insecurity in your life. See, none of those things would exist except for sin. Sin brought that into our world. You see, before this, they always trusted in the Lord. And if they would hear the Lord God... Among them, they ran to him. They, 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 he would provide for them always. They completely trusted in him. They felt secure around him and the, around the holy one at all times because they themselves were holy and in a right relationship with him. And there was no insecurity at all in the presence of the holy God. They never existed before. But now we live in a world of phobias and fears and anxieties and turmoil. The numbers of people that are taking anti-anxiety drugs, it's affected all of us. We go to counseling because of our fear, anxieties, insecurities. And it's all about fear. And it's a result of the sin. It brings division and distrust and separation. Notice the impact that it has on the man and the woman. Not only their relationship with God, but with each other. Now this is kind of funny as you read it. It's kind of funny, but sad at the same time. And contemporary as well. Chapter 3, verse number 12. He said, well, verse 11, he says, Who told you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, notice how clean the man comes immediately with the sin problem. Verse 12, the man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Can you just imagine what Eve thought when she heard him say that? She probably looked at him and thought, You just threw me under the bus, and I don't even know what a bus is. You see it? And immediately it begins the blame shifting and the blame game. 
and brings division and distrust and separation between the man and the woman. What, what was most perfect unity between the man and the woman, and now it's destroyed. Not only that, sin brings difficulty in your life. Chapter 3, verse number 16, he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Women, childbirth would have never had any pain to it. And the relationship with a husband would have been beautiful. But sin affected us. It made life difficulty not only for the woman, not only her relationship with her man, but notice with the man as well. He said to the man, because you listened to your wife, ate from the tree that I commanded, do not eat. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat it by the means of painful labor all the days of your life. Guys, it means that our work is more frustrating and difficult because of sin. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. Not only brings difficulty in life, it ultimately breathes physical death. In chapter 3, verse 19, it says, For you are dust, and you will return to dust. The wages of sin is death. And this is the beginning of physical death. The Lord says, The day that you eat it, you will surely die. And that's what happened. They died spiritually immediately, and then physical death began to come progressively. Not only that is a physical death, but when sin is unconfessed in our life, it causes a loss of vitality in our life. Psalm 32, 3 and 4 says, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained away as in the summer's heat. What he's saying is sin causes weariness. Sin causes depression. Sin causes you to feel downcast. Sin causes you to feel discouraged. Sin sucks the life out of you. It causes you to lose all of your vitality and your strength. This is what sin does. Isaiah 64, 7 says, You've hidden your face from us. And you made us melt because of our iniquity. Sin brings emotional, psychological, and physical problems into your life. That's what sin does. Satan is a liar and a thief. And listen, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the thief does. But it also brings eternal death, not only death in this life, but eternal death. There are eternal consequences. 
And so death has spread to all men because all men have sinned, Romans 5.12. If you look with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter number 20, verse number 11. And I know this is not popular to preach about, but I'd rather preach the truth than something that's just popular. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, And I saw a great white throne and one seated on it, Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. And I also said the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by what was written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each man was judged according to their works. Now listen, verse 14. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There's eternal life, and there's eternal death. And the wages of sin is death. And eternal death, you are condemned, and you're judged, and you're cast into hell. And it's a place of darkness, and hopelessness, and eternal sorrow, and it's never-ending. There's a line in that great hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. And in the, one of the, la- the last verses it says, when, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, there'll be no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That gives us insight of what eternity is like. When 10,000 days have passed, there'll still be no less days to sing his praise. That's eternity. But the same is true for hell. When 10,000 days are passed, there's no less days of hopelessness. With no death. Because that is the second death. Wow. You see, Jesus came so that we could have life, though. And this is the good news. You say, Brother Tim, do you have any good news? Yes. And we're getting to that in just a moment. But before we do, I want you to say, I want you to understand, the wages of sin is death, and that is a wage you earned. You deserved it. Tell your neighbor. That's what we deserved. That's what we deserved. Now, I like movies. I know I'm just like a lot of good dudes. I like Western movies. If Clint Eastwood is related to it, I probably like it. In one of Clint's movies was called Unforgiven been out a long time now. The title 
really is the message of the whole film. Unforgiveness prevails everywhere and wickedness prevails everywhere. There's no true hero in the film. And in this film, Clint Eastwood plays the role of a killer, a wicked man, who goes to kill some other men because of their abuse of, because of a bounty on their heads. And in this little town, there's a heavy-handed evil sheriff named William Bill Daggett. And he's a wicked sheriff and unforgiving, and he kills William Money's good friend, Ned. And so Clint Eastwood's character, William Money out of Missouri, a known killer, comes into the back of the tavern, the bar, and the saloon, and he is going to bring revenge. And indeed he does, and he shoots most of the men in the room. And then he's standing at the bar having a drink and he notices that Sheriff Little Bill Daggett's not quite dead. And he steps on his hand before he can shoot a gun and he points a rifle at him and this is what the sheriff says. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to die like this. I was building a house. Seems like a strange word, doesn't it? And Money looks at him and he says, deserve has nothing to do with it. And Sheriff Daggett looks at him and he said, I'll see you in hell, William Money. And William Money says, yeah. And he kills him. The truth of the matter is, the whole point of that movie is that everyone in that movie was unforgiving. And every one of those was living in hell themselves. And every one of them had a future of only hell. That's what we deserved. When he said, I didn't deserve this, I was building something. But he said deserving had nothing to do with it. It had everything to do with it. Because the wages of sin is death. Satan comes and he lies to you. And he tells you that sin will bring you life and meaning and satisfaction. And sin will give you peace and blessing. And it's all a false lie. The wages of sin is death. Wow. I got to get to the good part. The gift of God is eternal life. What is the greatest gift you've ever been given in your life? What would you say? He says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's life here and now. John 10, 10, the Bible says the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. This is the good news. Jesus Christ came to 
to, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus Christ came so that we might have life, and that's life a meaningful and purposeful and whole and full and filled with hope and restoration. That is what Jesus came to do. And it's life that's eternal. It's never ending. There's never any separation. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow after me. And I give to my sheep, that means my followers, I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that good news? And he says, and my father who's given them to me is greater than all. And no one is even able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I've done this before in church. So hold your hand out just like that. Hold your hand. Do that. Just do that with me right now. Hold your hand. And then just put your finger right there like that, right in the middle of your hand. Now, let's just imagine that's you, all right? And then wrap around your finger that hand right there. You see that? He says, I'm holding you in my hand. And I'm holding you tightly. And no one will snatch you out of my hand. Now you, can, you don't have a third hand, but if you did, you could put that right over the top of it. And that's God's hand. And he says, that hand is greater than all. And no one's even able to snatch them out of my father's hand. What great hope for all of us. He's not given us term life. He's given us eternal life. John 5, 24 says, Truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death into life. Life is a gift. He says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't earn it or you don't deserve it. You earned death. Well, I just want to get what I earned. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's death. But the good thing, the good news I have today is you can have a gift that you didn't deserve, and that's eternal life. It's the gift of God. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You did nothing deserving, and there's nothing deserving in you, but he adopted you he saved you and he made you a part of his family and you are his child that's why John says in first John chapter 3 verse 1 he says see look and see behold what manner of love the father has given to us that we should be called God's children and so we are hallelujah forever you're loved by God you didn't earn it Amen. And what is the means of this gift? It's through Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our salvation and God's gift of grace is through Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. It is the gift of God for us. In the book of Colossians chapter number 1, Colossians chapter number 1, listen. In verse number 19, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace, how? Through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus died the death we deserve. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He died for us. He died for you. And once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but he's now reconciled you by, the, by his physical body, who's Jesus, through his death to present you holy, fault, blameless before him wow this is what God has done for you 1 John 5 says he who has the son has the life but he who has not the son has not the life the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life how? through Jesus Christ. It's only in Jesus. There's no other way. Would you bow your heads with me? Do you have the Son? Do you have Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Are you trusting in Jesus alone to save you? Are you still trying to earn eternal life? Are you going to hell or are you going to heaven? All of us will die. But for us who put our faith in Jesus, our death can be turned to eternal life if you turn and trust in him. Lord, thank you for that. Now, Father, have your way in our hearts and our lives. May we surrender fully and completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen.